Good morning, Genesis Church. My name is Gabriel Larson, and my family and I have been coming for about uh, three years. This morning, we will be looking into Micah chapter 3, so if you would please open up your Bibles and follow along as I read. If you did not bring a Bible this morning, there's Bibles at the ends of your rows, and if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one of those Bibles home. Again, we're looking at Micah chapter 3, 1 through 12, and in the Genesis Bibles, that can be found on page 865. And I said, Hear you, heads of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them, and he will hide his face from them because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision, and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame, and shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare Jacob his transgression, and and to Israel his son. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice, and make crooked all that is straight. Who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach of the, for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Let, yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of you? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the ha- a house of wooded height. This is the word of the Lord. Good job. It's been a uh, crazy week in the world. Um, and uh, the events in the Middle East are significant. We're in this text this morning where Micah the prophet is speaking to the city of Jerusalem and the leaders of Jerusalem about oppression and injustice. And there are times where we as a church need to pause and be very clear about some things. And there are some times where we in a church need to be diligent to pray about some things. And the scriptures tell us, the Psalms tell us that we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Um, the, the events that have happened there are horrendous. And I know, I mean, if you're in here and you don't know what's going on with Hamas and you don't know the events, I don't know what rock you've been living under because it's just right here in front of us. This, this is an evil. Uh, it is a human depravity of the nth degree. It is another place where the world shows us how deep and dark and desperate the human heart is and how much the world needs a savior. And we're reminded here this morning that our savior came from the Jewish people. Anti-Semitism among any people is not acceptable, as is any racism. And so just, the clarity is this. 
this is evil. It is wickedness. It is awful. And, and we need to have prophetic voices. And I hope I'm speaking to a room where everybody is ready to amen everything that I'm saying. But if you were listening to pundits, you're listening to right-wing or left-wing people who are using anti-Semitism in their language, who are standing with Hamas, it ain't right. Just telling you. It doesn't mean Israel always is right in these things. Don't, don't mishear me. There are times to stand with the oppressed, and sometimes Israel can be the oppressor. But in this case, what we're seeing is the face of evil, and we need clarity about that. And we're going to pray this morning. I'm just going to pause as we start our sermon to pray for this situation. There are going to be all kinds of different views about where Jerusalem fits in the end times questions. But right now on this day, whether this is the last of, the, of things or it's just another place where God is reminding us of the importance of, of this space in the world, and another day reminding us that we are to be diligently like living our lives as if Christ could come this afternoon, but planning as if he won't come in our lifetime and living for, for his glory and his mission until he does or he takes us. But we should also be people of prayer. Because the only hope for the world is Jesus. And, and the only hope for the change of the wickedness and, that is in the human heart in Hamas, but resides in my heart too, is the gospel. So will you join me in prayer this morning as we just pause and think about this? And, and from your seat, will you cry out to God as I do this on behalf of us as a whole? Lord, we come this morning and my heart is super heavy has been for over a week now for the events that are happening in the Middle East. So many different things. The people who are, in terms of their, their blood, their genealogy, included in the line of Abraham, in the land that you gave their ancestors, are suffering, and, and we're, we're hurting for that. We cry out on your behalf for justice for them, for your kindness to, to shower over them. We know that these people who, who are in the heritage of Jesus, most of them still are rejecting Jesus, and we just pray for an outpouring of the gospel there and that people would truly lift their chin and see the beauty of Christ in this. And Lord, we, I am horrified at the devastating effects of sin in the human heart that has been on display and the pure evil that has happened there. We pray, Lord, we pray against them. We pray, Lord, that you would either wreck the world of Hamas or bring them to repentance. But do not let this evil stand. But Lord, also let this remind us that that sort of evil, while not to that end in our activity, it does reside in all of our hearts. And so remind us this morning that justice matters and we need the gospel every day to curb the tendencies of my own heart to live for myself and think that all that matters is me. And so Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem today as you've commanded us to and we pray for the salvation of both Palestinians and Arabs and Jewish people in the Middle East. Pray for our partners that are boots on the ground there already, feeding people, caring for people, setting up camps for people. And we're thankful for, for them being the hands and feet of Jesus.
your name I pray, amen. So I close the prayer, just one last thing. If you wanna be a part of, of making a difference there, I tell you all the time about our partners in Send Relief. They are already boots on the ground serving meals to people who've been displaced, who's, who've lost families. They're already boots on the ground, loving community. They're, like, they're already there, our partners, in the name of Jesus, loving people in, in Israel. People got on planes and flew to the most dangerous place in the world in the name of Jesus Christ this week so they could be boots on the ground in places there in the Middle East, there in Israel, near Gaza, near the West Bank, to love people who are going through these crises. And so you can support that. All you gotta do is like Google search, send relief. There are links on how to give to the organization, the cause right there. Um, and, and if you wanna be a part of that, there, there's a real practical way this morning to do that. Um, Micah's speaking to this nation, his, the people of God, the people in Jerusalem, about this issue of justice. That's a little scary. It's the Lord running down a problem for me. I think it just popped into place. But anyway, uh, uh, this issue of justice. Uh, and uh, we kind of live in a culture where that's hard. I want you to imagine for a minute that it's 1970 and you were the parent of a child who has a significant disability. Here's what this means in 1970 for you. The path of life for that child means that they are not going to be able to go to a public school they will probably put that child who is in a wheelchair who has a disability in a school that is a, like a special school, but these special schools are just awful. They're not well run. They're not healthy places. They're not good places for children, but that is where they will get a non-education, preparing for an adult life where they will be, um, if you don't choose to take care of them for the whole life, they won't be able to get a job. They, won't, they, they will be discriminated discriminated against, and most of these people will end up at this period in our, our, our nation's history and before this in an institution where the, the, um, you know, the accommodations and things are just awful for them. The, no taxpayer really wants to fund these institutions, but nobody really wants to deal with it. What should the church of Jesus Christ do in 1970 about that issue? How should we interact with the issue of people who are marginalized and broken and hurting, what is the right way for the church to respond? Well, thankfully, there were people in our country who began to push for what is called the Americans with Disabilities Act, while others in our country were already working to create opportunity, equality, uh, access to things for people with disabilities. And the outcome has been that since 1970 in our country, certain things when we have, like, we're doing a building, and there are building codes that say, you gotta make it accessible for, for uh, disabled, handicapped people. Their uh, schools had to figure out what it looked like to make sure that we integrate people with these disabilities into life. And here we are in 2023, and people with disabilities, the discrimination, now there are still forms of discrimination, but the cultural systemic dis discrimination that was going on for those people has basically been eradicated as they can hold pretty much any job, they can do anything that, that their disability allows them to do. Justice happened for these people, right? And that is to be celebrated. That's a good thing because people with disabilities are made in the image of God. They are beautiful people who offer something to both the church of Jesus Christ, the world around us. They have gifts that God has invested in them. They matter to God. They should have mattered in 1970 to us, right? Justice matters to God. That's an uncomfortable thing right now for a lot of people in our culture. And we're in this text where Micah is talking about oppression. He's talking about justice. 
He is, he is standing as God's covenant attorney, speaking on God's behalf to the leaders in the city of Jerusalem and in the Jewish culture. He is going to speak to both governmental and religious leaders about the fact that they are up to their armpits in injustice. And just real quick, keep your Bibles open so we can wade through uh, Micah chapter 3. Look down at verse 1 again and just pay attention to what Micah says in verse 1 on behalf of the Lord. He is speaking the very word of God. God is the one who's actually speaking through Micah's mouth and then pen. And he says this, And I said, Hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? That's a very important question this morning. Is it not for you to know justice? Is it not important, leaders, church, followers of Jesus, to know what justice is and to know what to do about justice? Justice matters to God. So so if we're going to talk about justice, if we're going to talk about oppression, if we're going to talk about what's going on here, we have to wrestle with the idea of what it means to do and know justice. And what's happening here very specifically is that the broken systems, the, the wickedness of the human heart that existed in the nations around them that caused them to marginalize, oppress, discard people, had sunk into the lives of Israel so much that they were involved just like the Assyrians and others in horrible things to make sure they kept their places of power, that they kept their resources, they kept their finances, that they got rich while others got poor. People have called Micah the, the voice for the poor, and he is. But one of the things that probably was happening at this point in time in Israel is that right there around Jerusalem, the wealthy were getting more and more and more wealthy on the backs of, of the poor people. And what was happening actually was the, the dis, uh, disintegration of the middle class so that those who were kind of just in the working class were losing any sense of connection and community and were getting poorer and poorer and poorer. And the divide between wealthy and poor was getting greater and greater. And here comes Micah being echoed by Isaiah at the same time in 7th century BC Israel saying, this is not the way God's people are designed. Justice matters. Shouldn't you know what justice is? Shouldn't you know what's happening here? Shouldn't you understand this? And look at what happens. He just lays it out here in, in, uh, in verse um, verse 11 here. Verse 10. Who builds Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Bribe. Its priests teach with a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet, yet they lean on the Lord and say, is it not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. What, what Micah does is he looks at three key areas of leaders, and he's already kind of spoken to them. He says, here's what's going on. Your rulers, who are the rulers? These are the people who have kind of, if you want to call it more of a kingly role in the world. They have power. They have authority. They have the ability to act. They are judges, they are governors, they are rulers. People who have uh, some power in the culture and they have the ability to act on behalf of the poor, the widow, the orphan, the oppressed, the sojourner, the immigrant, and the refugee. They have the, the, the power to act so, so they, they can be the hands of, of the Lord but rather than acting, using the power to act as governmental people, as rulers, they're taking bribes and taking sides, and they're always protecting their own power, their own position. They're making sure they get what's coming to them. 
no matter who gets hurt. He, he looks at the priests and he speaks to the priests who are religious leaders who are supposed to represent God to the people. They, they, they are there to bring God's presence near, which means for broken, outcast, hurting people, they should be the ears of the Lord Jesus. They should be the ones who hear the hurts and the cries, who love them, who show them grace and mercy, who offer sacrifices for the brokenness. They should be the ones who enter into the space of their pain and love them, but they preach for money. They, he speaks to the prophets who be, should be the ones who speak for God, who stand up from the, the Old Testament scriptures and speak clearly to the culture, the word of the Lord. And if you read the Bible from cover to cover, and if you're careful, what you will find is the prophetic voice is always stepping over and speaking for the people who can't speak for themselves. The prophets are always, the true prophets are always standing up to power and speaking on behalf of the widow, the orphan, the marginalized, the oppressed, the sojourner, the immigrant. The, like, they are to be the voice for the voiceless as they speak for God on their behalf. But the prophets are taking a buck and only speaking what will benefit them. And Micah is crazy clear here about where this is headed. That's what this text is about. We, we hear Genesis, we, we love the Bible. Okay, you gotta understand this. We, we love the Bible. Can I get an amen? But we love the whole thing. We love the whole thing. We can get stuck in certain passages that make us feel comfortable and, and at ease, and, and, and we can skip the prophets because the prophets don't just speak to 7th century Israel. They speak to 2023 American Christianity. They speak to the church now. And, and so Micah speaks, and there's a whole bunch of people who hear him and push him to the side and are done with him. Jeremiah speaks, and he ends up with only two guys who ever think about what he says, but he is speaking on behalf of the Lord. Isaiah speaks and crowds leave the church because they are speaking on behalf of the Lord. The question is, can we hear what God says to us in our culture and context, or is this going to be a dividing line where we go, nope, we're out. And here's, I just, I love you. I love you deeply. Just listen to me. If the first response in your heart when you hear people starting to talk about justice, is the label and push aside, we might be like these people. We, we, we might be. I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians on Twitter who are. That, that they would have all kinds of labels for the prophets if the prophets were to speak in this day. And, and they would literally look at the things Jesus said and, and start calling him liberal. That's a problem. The Jesus who didn't take sides, he came to proclaim the gospel and take over. We just gotta be careful that we actually get our understanding of what justice is from the scriptures, but we don't just push justice aside because it doesn't fit our, our politics, our belief in cultural engagement because there are people over here who are using this rhetoric and we don't ever want to be identified with them and so we run from it because Micah might have something to say to us and it's not easy justice matters to God what is justice 
Well, in the Bible, what you end up with is, is this real clear understanding of the fact that there are two words that run side to side. In fact, they almost show up in Scripture together. Justice and righteousness, justice and righteousness, justice and righteousness. We find out that we have a God who, is, who does justice and, and is righteous and does righteousness. We, he then looks at, at the people of God in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and he says, listen, when you realize what I've done for you, the, how I rescued you from Egypt and how I saved you, you will be people of justice and righteousness. And then the New Testament keeps telling us that this is who the people of God will be, that you will be people who, uh, the, the, the character and the matter of your life will change while you love neighbor and love each other and you care for the broken things of the world. And these two things, just, like it's just these massive, massive themes. And what's happened kind of in our culture is those two things, we've separated them out. And so we end up in our discourse, we have a whole bunch of people who are passionate about righteousness. This idea that we are going to be right with God and that righteousness, that, that our, our way of dealing with God himself is gonna turn into a moral character, a moral quality, a way of doing ethics and life in the world that will be holy and different. And that is to be applauded. Listen, we in the church, our sexual ethics matter. Our generosity and, and, and giving matters. Our, our way of doing life matters. Our truthfulness matters. Righteousness matters. But we end up in our political engagement with, with kind of some people who lean so heavily into righteousness that they're looking for this governmental movement that moves things back to where we are moral and, and good again. And, and there's, there's good things about that. But we end up on the other side with political engagement who lean into justice. What is justice? Well, justice is just fairness on the, on, uh, to begin with. Like your kids, when they're born and they're about three years old, understand justice. He's got my toy, that's my toy, that's not fair, right? Your kids know this. Your kids know it, like, justice is built into our hearts when it's against me, right? You know when you've been wronged. You know when somebody cut you off in traffic and it was just not right. And if you, like, the, the least Christian place I am in the world is in my car by myself, because I am calling down the judgment of God in language that you should not hear sometimes on people who cut me off in traffic. That just is not right. You know what justice is. You know when you've been wronged and what somebody else has done is not right. It's not fair. But in the Bible, what you end up with is justice in the, in the governmental or, or the courts. And so you end up with Lady Justice. Our image here for the series is Lady Justice, except Lady Justice doesn't have a blindfold and the scales are not balanced. This is the problem, right? where all of a sudden Lady Justice is treating some people better than others. So you have justice there, and you're saying, listen, in a systemic way, in a governmental way, in the way the culture and the world is dealing with people, there is unfairness. And then justice on a personal level shows up as I take the righteousness and apply it to the relationship I have with people in the world around me. And so I learn to love my neighbor as myself. I learn to give myself away and be sacrificial and I care for the hurts and needs of others. I, I enter into space where they are and I do all of this because as a follower of Jesus, Christ has done this for me, right? And so some of you in here have a real passion for righteousness and you need to hear this, this message to say, maybe I need to be more intentional about caring for issues of justice. Some of you in here really care for issues of justice 
And you need to lean towards people who will call you to be more intentional about righteousness. And that line is often a tough one to, to navigate. Right? But why do we do it? Because, y'all, we live in a jacked up world. Injustice and unrighteousness is everywhere. Right? It's everywhere. We don't have, just have to look in the Middle East. It's, it's everywhere around us. There are so many cries of injustice, so many broken people, so many struggles, and at the same time, we have so many people who are calling our society to abandon any sense of morality, any sense of character, any sense of well-being, any sense of living your life for a higher cause. Uh, we, like, it's, just, it's just standard in our culture for like our sexual ethics. If you hold to a biblical sexual ethic, you are no longer just weird. You're enemy. And yet the gospel tells us we are people of justice and righteousness, righteousness and justice. Our ethics are going to look weird, but our love for neighbors should be compelling to some. And for others, our character should be compelling and ethics is compelling, but our love for neighbors looks weird. And why do we do this? Because of what Christ has done for you. Like if you're here today, if you're not here today, this is the offer. This is what Jesus offers you this morning, okay, right? This is what Jesus, like in the gospel, Christ came. He died on the cross for our sin. He rose again, and he rose rose again to do this. Who are you, believer in Jesus? This morning, who are you? Let me explain to who who you are. You were orphans. You were orphans, and God has adopted you into his family. You, you were uh, sojourners, you were immigrants and aliens to the kingdom, and the Lord, by his grace, welcomed you into his kingdom. You, you, you were rebels, sinful rebels, who Christ has forgiven by the blood of the cross and received you as friends. You were slaves to sin who have been redeemed and set free, and you were dead. You were dead, and you were raised to life. Right? Y'all got to get with the system here, all right? That's an amen moment. We got some work to do, okay? We got to start, like, we don't have to go to, like, we don't have to become a black church here. I'm, I'm cool with that, but every once in a while, like, yeah, that's right, Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That is okay in here, okay? That's good news. Like something should have gone off. Yes, that's who I am. When we fail, this is what's going on in the text. You should know justice. Why? Because you were slaves and God reached you. He loved you. He drew you to himself. Like you were the broken, messed up people of the world and he has saved you to be different. When we fail to listen to this banging gong that is all through the Bible, where the Bible keeps talking about justice, 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 and realize it is looking at the governmental systems, the courts, the way the culture treats things and, and speak, and it's looking at people who are involved and loving them as my neighbor. When we fail to move in that direction, it is us crying out to the world that we don't know what Christ has done for us. We don't get it. Okay? That, that's, 
What Micah, it is what Micah is saying in the text. This is the word of the Lord. This is not just me making this up. It is what Micah, and by the way, the rest of the prophets. I wrestled with this as I thought, okay, Lord, where do you want us to go? We hadn't preached a prophetic book in a long time. We preached all through Acts, a lot of New Testament. Where should we go? And I started thinking, you know, it's probably good for us to preach a prophetic book. I didn't choose a prophetic book because it's time to let these people know what's up. It was time for us to go there because we believe all the Bible is the word of God. And I started wrestling with what, with, with what one, and I, I, I was kind of toying with Amos. But you'd have heard this sermon for three months straight if I'd have preached Amos. <laughs> That's why Dr. King, Dr. King and his sermons kept going to Amos. And preached to the church and to the world. And listen, this is what justice looks like. But it's all over the prophets. It's all over the book of James. This kind of language about caring about the marginalized and outcasts, the people who are not being treated right. And in this case, the oppression has reached, deeply reached, the, the rulers, the leaders, those who have the power to do something about it, but they're not. And that's what happens. And what we see is three massive leadership fails that you as the church need to hold your elders and leaders here accountable, make sure we're not doing this. We need to look at our governmental leaders and with the voice of Christ be asking for this from the rulers around us. We need to be asking for individuals and systems to hear the cry. Here's what's going on in Micah, and here's what he says. There are three massive leadership fails that happen among these people that Micah calls out and then pronounces a judgment. And then there's a beautiful outcome of this story, this text. There's a beautiful outcome that God in his goodness has shown us what happens when people, when people hear Micah's message. So for, first leadership fail, our hands that choke instead of serving. Hands that choke instead of serving. Verses one to four, he is speaking to the rulers. He is speaking to those who have, like what we're talking about is judges. We're talking about, yes, the king and those who serve in the government. We're talking about, now this is Israel. They're supposed to be God's redeemed people. So there is kind of this merger between church and state here. We don't necessarily have that. But he's speaking to those who have the ability to act, to stand with the marginalized, and we see what they're doing. So check it out. Look again at verses Uh, one to four, or verses two to four. He says, to the rulers, verse two, you who hate the good and love evil, you tear skin off my people and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin off of them, break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord and he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Now to understand what he's saying here, you have to understand what has already happened. Micah, as a prophet, his, his time frame is over the period of four kings who rule in Jerusalem. He begins, in fact, the first two chapters, he has been speaking to both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. So just a little bit of history. You're already bored with it, but hang with me just for a second because it matters what's going on here. You had Samaria, and the kingdom that was called Israel to the north, and Judah and the kingdom, uh, Judah is the kingdom or, or the, the part of God's people to the south, and the capital city is Jerusalem. Originally, they were 12 tribes of Israel. They splintered into two factions. They had a civil war. For a couple hundred years now, you had northern and southern kingdoms. The northern never had a good king. They were broken from the get-go, idolatry, injustice, all this sort of stuff. And so the first two chapters, the the warnings that Micah is given, 
He is speaking to the southern kingdom, but he has very clear things to say to the northern kingdom, to Samaria. He tells us that. Now we get to the third chapter, and he's got a new set of indictments. This is a a break in the, the rhythm that starts with these three places in Micah where he starts just with the phrase, you need to hear this. Listen to me. The first ones, though, the first two chapters that we studied are probably 10 to 20 years before the second one. The, these books cover aspects of these prophets preaching and teaching, and now we're probably 20 years later. And the reason we know we're 20 years later is that Samaria and the northern kingdom are gone in the conversation. Why? Because in 722 BC, the things that Micah prophesied against them happened. The Assyrian Empire to their north, a Hamas type kingdom marched in and defeated and overthrew the northern kingdom and deported most of the people out. And, and, and they were known for doing this terrible thing of flaying people, of skinning them alive to terrorize. But, but they ran out of energy and steam under this first king that they had, and for about a 20-year break, Assyria kind of just keeps what they have, but they backtrack. And what happened in Jerusalem is Jerusalem's prosperity got greater because they started to go in and take lands and things that used to be their brothers. And the rich were getting richer from this. And they were saying, listen, God got them. They deserved it. But God loves us. We're okay. He's not going to do anything like this to us. And they got involved in, in these these atrocities to the marginalized, the broken, oppressed. They began to push people down. The rich got richer, poor got poor. And in the midst of this, here's, here's Micah saying, you know what the Assyrians are known for? Spiritually, you're doing the same thing. In fact, he, 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 he tells them that they're actually making poor people chili. Not making chili for poor people. They're making stew from poor people like picture this image you were chunking up potatoes carrots and onions and the flesh and the meat of the poor and the marginalized to give yourself a meal and that's what you were eating rulers you were the ones who have the power to step in and act here you have you have leadership you have control you have a place in this culture to be the hands of the god who saved you who will step in and you can serve these people you can be a difference maker you can step in and act on their behalf and what are you doing you're cutting them up in chunks and feeding them to yourself it's a vivid image it's a hard image it's a vivid image and he says because of this listen here's the deal verse four some point you're going to cry out to the lord He's not going to answer you. In fact, he's going to hide his face from you. You need to understand this, people of God. The most terrifying possible thing that can happen to us in the Bible is not the downfall of our country. It is not even having wickedness come in. It is not injustice happening around us. It is not us losing our bank accounts. It is not losing our homes. The most terrifying thing, I don't think we believe this. I think you're going to listen to me and go, I don't think this is true the most terrifying thing that can happen is for God to suddenly hide his face and us to go on doing life thinking we're in the presence of God but what has happened is he has moved away from us and he has hidden his face from us that we are no longer in the presence of God because the thing that we need the most in this world the thing that you and I and our neighbors need is the presence of almighty God in our lives and God says because 
you have, you, you're supposed to know justice. You have walked away. You have created all these reasons and, and, and categories to say why you're doing it, but you are letting the mistreated, like you are now using them for your gain, and you are compounding the problem. Now God's going to hide his face from us. Listen, you individually, if you are saved, Christ is not leaving you, but Christ will still remove his presence from an individual church, from a network of churches. History tells us that. Great movements of God are gone where they didn't stay close to Jesus. And so, so here's these hands who should have been serving. What are they doing? They're choking. They're, they're using God's people. The second, second warning here is to uh, not just the hands that choke, but I'm sorry, let me, let me hit a couple things here. Um, let, let me just put this in the, in the voice of Jesus. Who is Jesus as a king? See, this is the beauty of it. There's an upside down kingdom, a different kingdom that represents Jesus. Jesus said this. He's talking to his disciples. And he said, Jesus called to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you Whoever will be great among you will be your servant, and whoever will be first among you should be your, the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give himself as a ransom for, for many. Listen to what Jesus says about this very issue. He says, let me explain, as the one who has ultimate power on earth, why I came. I did not come as the king to look at the world around me and go, I'm here, you serve me. He came as the king to give himself away. And that's what he did for us, Right? The one who could demand absolute allegiance from us, and he does, but the way he gets that is by giving himself away. The Rome, their message was, we are here, we will squash you, and you are here for the emperor. You are to give your life for the emperor. You are to give everything. You are to serve the emperor. And here comes King Jesus saying, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve and give myself as a ransom for many. And then he, right before that says, and oh, by the way, if you are Jesus' people, that's the way you will look to. That's the way you will look to. Hands that serve, not hands that choke. Second thing we end up with is a uh, lips that pucker instead of proclaiming. Lips that pucker instead of proclaiming. Verses five to seven, he begins speaking to the prophets. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against them who puts nothing in their mouths. Do you see that? Uh, what's going on? Well, uh, again, the, the word of the Lord is what the prophets are supposed to speak. Now, these we know from the text are false prophets, but the people are going in mass to hear them. So the problem is both the people who are speaking and the people who have put them on a platform and said, here's our prophets. So here's Micah with nobody following him, and he's speaking the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, the people are following these prophets, and what are the prophets doing? When, when, if, if you benefit the prophet, if you give that prophet power, if you, you take the one whose lips should be proclaiming the word of the Lord, and you are kind to him, what does he do? And I'll just say it, he'll kiss your butt. He'll pucker. He, he'll be the one who, who like, 
He will never speak against anybody who's, who's flipping a few dollars. He will never speak against anybody who makes sure that they get the right amount of votes. He will never speak against anybody who is on their side. He will never speak to anybody who sees the world the way he sees it because that might cause him to lose power, lose position, lose prominence among those people. He is going to build them up and say nothing but good things. Meanwhile, those who disagree, those who won't, won't take care of him, those who, who don't throw him a few dollars, those who don't support his cause, those who don't see the, the world the same way he does, as a prophet of the Lord, he stands up and he's calling the fire of God on him. He's calling judgment on him. He is calling the, the Holy Spirit to rain everything down upon him. And then we go on in the text and we see that these prophets aren't just crying out to God. They have gotten involved in what's called divination in the passage. It literally, the, the, the language here is what they would do is they would dig a big hole and they would start mix, mixing potions, believing that the spirits of the dead would come up from the hole and tell them what God had to say to them. And from the get-go, God says, this is not the way I speak to you. That's Satanism. That's, that's, that's a cult. That's, that's demonic. But, but hear this. The people are going to those prophets when they go on Sunday morning to church. Why? Because they stand in front of the people and tell them what they want to hear. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a relationship of, of a cycle. The prophet gets a big hearing because he says what people want to hear, and they come hear him because he's saying what makes them feel good, and they're more willing to support that. You know what the easiest way to build a church right now, post-2020? This is statistically true. You know how to get a huge congregation? Pick a side politically. Make Jesus on your side and gather all the people who think the way you do. There were little churches in America that were running 40, 50 people that are running hundreds and even thousands now because their pastor made the pulpit about prophetic speech to one side and silence to the other. And they're all over America. If that's what you want, go find it. I don't think you're really going to hear the word of the Lord from these people. Listen, if, if prophetic speech from the pulpit or from the, from the scriptures, if it doesn't ever make you uncomfortable, you may not be worshiping the true Jesus. Okay, I'm just telling you, if, if there's not, never a point where you go, ooh. Like I said, it's how we read the Proverbs. Think about how you read the Proverbs, okay? You ever read Proverbs? Every, every verse is its own verse. And here's how I read the Proverbs. I read one proverb, and I think about, and I'll point in general, I think about you. Another proverb, I think about you. And I got this one proverb, my wife needs to hear this proverb. But every sixth proverb, I hear a proverb, and I'm like, ooh, I don't like that one. <laughs> Amen? Which one do I focus on? I focus on the one that is for you. <laughs> okay, maybe you don't do that. I do. <laughs> I don't want to hear the voice that says, hey, you need to cut this out and change your life. This is not the way the Lord had. Wisdom, what you're doing is not wise. And so, boy, I can, I can tell you that. And, 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 and the gospel is going to test you. And here's why it is so important that we have a prophetic voice in the church. Because I need to be reminded each week that the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. The problem is me. I'm the sinner. If I forget who I am apart from Christ and even the mess I am in Christ, I will begin to create categories of people and I will end up with the good people and the bad people. And I will make those people based on skin color. I'll make those people based on the way they live their lives. I'll make those people based on ethics. And what I will begin to look at the lost world who all need Jesus, and I will think I'm better, I'm more important, God loves me more. 
And the prophet's job was to come stand and speak for the, the voiceless, to speak the word of the Lord to the culture, to say, these people matter to God. And what we do in our culture, because we have certain feeds and certain ways to do we silence those voices, and when somebody is speaking a prophetic word in both directions, we begin to call them lames and labels, and we don't hear them. We, we shut their voices. That should not be. That is not going to get us to justice. And so here we have this, this, this whole thing where these prophetic leaders, these people who are supposed to be speaking for God, have now created a whole system where they are just like picking sides and finding people who support them and, and will benefit them, keep their power in place. There, there, there's awful stories about this. Um, there, there's a guy who was a seminary president in two seminaries, Southern Baptist, like my tribe's seminaries, and in those two seminaries, twice he had a girl come sit in his office and say, sir, this person who goes to this seminary who's trained to preach raped me. And twice, this spiritual giant of a leader looked at that woman and said, you need to keep this silent. You will hurt that man's reputation and the reputation of the school. You need to forgive him. Now, what's he doing? He's protecting himself. He's protecting his brand. He's protecting the brand of the seminary. And it's a massive injustice. He is this. The prophetic, now, don't mishearing. Could she be mis, mis, uh, misaccusing these, these girls? It's possible. It's actually come out that they weren't. And so what does justice look like? That's a, that's a great further conversation to have in community groups. But I am telling you that that response among the people of God is just not, it is not gospel. We don't need to be afraid of the sin in our lives when it's exposed. We need to be afraid of it when we're covering it up and shaming ourselves. And a prophetic word keeps looking at me going, I need Jesus, I need grace. I, I'm reminded that I'm a hot mess too. I can't look at other people and think you're the problem. I'm the problem. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me anyway. Uh, I was laughing last night. We were hanging out at um, the, the bonfire. We had a great party last night. If you missed it, too bad. It was awesome. But anyway, uh, uh, I'm sitting with Kirk Matthews. Pastor Kirk over here, and he's telling me a story. He is talking in his community group this week about this very issue, okay? He's looking at people going, you know, as we think about this and think about the issue of justice, one of the things we always have to remember is that, that we are evil. And he says these words. He says, so, so I want you to know that, that, that the, God's word keeps reminding me I am evil. And his watch hurt him. And Siri said back to him through his watch in front of the community group, from now on, I will call you evil. <laughs> Are you ready? The watch got it right. We, we, we got to remember, I, I need grace. And I need people around me who will proclaim Jesus so that I can find the good news. But I'm not going to find the good news until I understand the bad news. I need Jesus. And so the prophetic voice, they, they're doing this. They're, they're lips that should be speaking, but instead they pucker. The third problem we have is ears that close instead of, of opening. Ears that close. Verse 6, I mean, he talks about these people who, who marginalize people outside, and he's speaking to rulers and priests, the ones who should have the ears to hear the brokenness of the people, and they're just they're discarding them. It is a reminder that one of the most important things we do for the cause of justice is just to hear people, just to listen. 
just to be willing to sit down and have coffee and hear a, a point of view, a way of seeing the world that is different, to realize that cries of justice matter, that while we may end up disagreeing with the solutions, the hurt of people in our world should matter to us. And we should hear them. And, and so what we do is we look to Jesus. Who is he? He's the guy who just kept coming to people who are broken. He's the, he's the one who shows up at this Samaritan, this, this ethnic outsider who has also been married multiple times, living with her boyfriend. Her ethics are broken. She's a hot mess. And what has Jesus done? He meets her at the well where she is. He hears her, John chapter four, an amazing story of Jesus entering in her space and hearing her heart and loving her and speaking into her life. He is the one who hears Zacchaeus, who is the rich tax collector, who is the oppressor, but he climbs a tree to see Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Hey, buddy, come down out of that tree. I'm going to your house today. I'm gonna go hang out with you. And what happens is, is all of a sudden Zacchaeus gets around Jesus and he goes, uh, I see injustice in the world, but it, was, it used to be everybody else, but now I realize I'm the problem. And what I'm going to do is I am now going to do what is right. I'm going to make sure everybody I wronged, I, I, I repay. And those who I've mistreated, I'm actually give them more back from my wealth to make sure that I am not being the one who's the problem anymore. How did Zacchaeus get there? He got there because Jesus met him and heard him and loved him where he was. This is the gospel. And what the gospel produces is people who are willing to hear, who are willing to enter into that space, who are willing to be priestly and love. And so what we end up with in the gospels is this amazing story that Christ then is our true priest. The story of Jesus is, is the story of God himself coming near and stepping in and going, I I know your brokenness. I know where you've been wounded. I know where you have wounded. I know where you struggle. I know where your messes are. I know who's hurt you. I know where you've been destroyed. And here's the deal. I want to hear from you. I love you. I am for you. He comes near and he hears us. He is the gospel of a true prophet who then speaks the truth of, of Christ and God in the world, who calls sin, sin, but then says, where justice is needed, I will give mercy if you will run to my cross. And Christ took our justice for us by dying on the sin, absorbing the wrath that we were due, right? He took our justice. The cross is not the story of God nodding at injustice. It is God showing us again that justice matters, but he paid the price for our justice and prophetically stood up against evil by showing the wickedness in the world through the cross of Christ. He comes as our true king who brings this upside down kingdom, a kingdom that did come to serve, but the, to be served, but to serve. And this is what he does. He saves people. He saves people. He changes our lives. And then he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be the ears, the mouth, and the hands of Jesus in my world. Because the world is jacked. They're, like the world is trying so hard to do justice. It's so hard. The world is coming up, trying to come up with all these solutions for justice. And what's happening so often in churches, we're choking on that instead of showing the world the beauty of true justice from people who, who can get it right. And so we need prophetic voice. But a voice that speaks in every direction. We, we, we need 
compassionate ears who will enter into the broken people around, not marginalize them and push them away because they represent a a people who might, if we get too close to them, we might lose some of our political power. We've got to stop that. And and, and we have to be the, the, the hands of Jesus who serve and love and get in the dirt with people and help them. This is the gospel. This is how the gospel is applied. And so what happens in the text? Jeremiah, Micah prophesies here. And in verse 12, he just says, so here's what's happened. Jerusalem's gonna get laid waste. It's going down. Jerusalem's gonna get laid waste. So what took place? The king, Hezekiah, the king, Hezekiah, who has the power to act, heard the word of the Lord and he repented. And God pauses the destruction that is promised by Micah for a hundred years because of it. How do I know that? Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah chapter 26. Says this, he's talking about Micah. Jeremiah's a hundred years later. He says, Micah of Morsheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and said to all those people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins in the mountains of the house of the wooded height. Did Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But we are about to bring that disaster upon ourselves. Listen to what Jeremiah is saying. A hundred years later, he's saying, what happened? Micah had no followers, but he stood up and he proclaimed the word of the Lord. He, did, he, he was just going to be faithful to what God sent him. He was the mouth of, 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 of justice. And the king heard it, and he led the nation to repent. What happens is that just a few later, Assyria comes again and they come to Jerusalem and God sends a plague on the Assyrian army where thousands of them die in a field right outside of the wall of Jerusalem and they have to go home. He spares them. Why? Because the people of God heard the message that God cares about justice and they responded by going, we gotta be there. Mouth, the hands, the ears, the feet of Jesus. So, so here's, here's the punchline. When we hear cries of injustice in our culture, when we hear, no matter what it is, where it's coming from, when we hear cries of injustice, our ears should hear it. it not the solutions, but, but sometimes just the cry ought to get our ears. It ought to get all of our ears. We then need to wrestle with what is the word of the Lord and make sure that we're speaking the words of Jesus into that and standing sometimes with the oppressed and marginalized, even if it's different than the way our tribe and the people around us think. And I think this needs to be all of us. Like, this is the way we ought to be. And then my challenge is that every, I really believe this, every single follower of Jesus, if you claim Christ as your king, if you are serious about who he is, you ought to have your hands in at least one cause of justice where you are you getting your hands a little bit dirty with people who just need your voice, your presence, your love, your care. What's this look like? What's this look like? Well, I'll tell you how it looks like for me. Personally, one of the things that I feel passionate about, if you hang around me long enough, you will know I will talk about this. I really believe that the, that the way the church has responded to the issue of race in our culture uh, for the last 
400 years is, is actually left a blight on the gospel and has hurt people in our culture. I am very passionate about how the Church of Jesus Christ interacts with the issue of race. I've given myself to this in a lot of ways, a lot of ways most of you don't know anything about, but I invest a lot of time and energy to move the needle so that there is greater involvement, greater listening, greater love and care for African American and brown and, and other colored people who are in our culture. And I wanna plant churches in these neighborhoods. I want to be involved in planting churches in North City. I wanna be involved in planting churches in, in, in uh, Bosnia and areas of St. Louis. I, I just wanna give myself to that. That's, that's my, I'm gonna serve that. I can't do it all, I'm doing that, that's me. Okay, we have, I, I referenced Kirk. Kirk Matthews is one of my heroes, and here's why. Kirk really loves the issue of life, he loves it. And he has given much of his life much of his life to say there is an injustice that is both involves the woman and the child. He has given much of his life in the public square to standing for life. And I love that. Terry Lancaster's in our, our congregation, and through a whole long story, she began to care for and, and have brokenness for special needs kids, exceptional children who, who are image bearers of God. And she has a foundation and goes to Ecuador to change the metric there, and she has been a difference maker here. Uh, a friends of ours, Mark and Joni Akers, love the refugees in St. Louis. They have an organization called uh, uh, Oasis International in South St. Louis, where they are loving the refugees that come to our city in the name of Jesus. This is what it looks like. So my question for you this morning is, is this too much for you? Or, or do we realize that justice matters to God? And are we willing to say, you know what? I need to find a space and a place with something that I feel passionately about. And I need to figure out how to be the hands and feet of Jesus in that space. Because here's what's happening in Christian history. Where the church did that, the world who hated our righteousness began to love the beauty of the church who, who cared for the broken things of the world. And we need to remember that the reason this has happened is because Christ gave his blood for us, right? He died. We'd, he gave us justice. It's just that Jesus took it. And instead of fair, we get grace. We get mercy, right? And so we're going to come to the table of the Lord this morning. Uh, Mike Singleton's going to come up here and lead us into that time. The band's going to come up. We're going to worship this Jesus and celebrate him again. And I just, like, I just want us to keep wrestling with the God who, who loves us and who pursues us, who's done so much for us. And I so want us to be a people who love righteousness and we love our neighbors well. That, that's my hope for Genesis, all right? So I'm going to get out of the way. Where's Mike? Come on up here, brother, and lead us to the table of the Lord to hear, hear uh, to experience his kindness and grace on the cross, all right? Good morning, church. So, this is a time of response, and we just, uh, Mike just laid out uh, uh, quite a bit for us to think about when we, uh, when we come to the Lord's table and, uh, and think about sin and repentance in our lives. A lot of things to talk about in community groups this week based on what we just heard today, too. So enjoy digging into those things. So we're going to take some time now to respond to the preaching of the gospel and the word of God. And our response takes forms in three ways. First, we respond through giving. For those who consider Genesis their church home, this is an opportunity to worship God through your giving. Offering baskets are here at the table for that purpose. If you're a visitor here with us today, your presence is uh, your gift to us. 
So we ask that you do not give. Second, we respond to the preaching of the gospel with singing and worship. We lift up our voices to God in thanksgiving for all that he has done, and we do this in faith, trusting the gospel together. And our third form of response is the taking of communion uh, uh, of the Lord's Supper together. So, on the first night, just before Jesus was willingly giving his life, he gave his disciples this meal of celebration to remember the sacrifice he made for us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, having been baptized and in right relationship with God and with your fellow believers, please come join us at the Lord's table. We encourage you to take a moment to consider sin and the need of repentance in your lives. Then when you're ready, come forward and take this meal as an act of remembrance in our Lord's death on the cross. When you're ready, come on up the, uh, the middle aisle to receive the uh, communion bread. Dip the bread in the cup and take the elements when you're ready. You can return to your seats using the outer aisles. As an option to dipping the bread, we have communion packs up here for you too, which are also gluten-free. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we encourage you to take this moment to think on Christ and even place your faith in Jesus for the first time. At the end of this service, we will have folks over here in the corner um, in front to pray with you and to answer any questions that you may have, okay? So, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 26 reads as follows. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So please take a moment to prayerfully think on these things and then come forward when you're ready. Thanks. Thanks.